It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Jared Parsons, by the way. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Um, I moved to the neighborhood three years ago to this neighborhood from Omaha, Nebraska, of all places, Um, just like with Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nebraska? Um, Yeah, I moved here from from, uh, three years ago, and I loved uh, this neighborhood, and I love this church, and I've loved being here and uh, my wife and I came here um, to, to serve with a collegiate ministry, the Navigators, uh, at a campus in Brooklyn, and we didn't know about Long Island City. We didn't know, like, what it was or anything about it, and when we got here, got to this church family, um, we were like, yeah, this is where we belong. This was the first church we visited, actually, and we didn't even bother again, um, which wasn't out of laziness, okay? Uh, it really was that good, but I'm so excited that I get to be here this morning and share with you, um, yeah, with this, my church family, some of the things that I've learned about Esther recently. Um, Esther is a crazy book, isn't it? Esther is a, it's a wild, wild book, and uh, I'm going to recap for us um, some of the, the things that we've been learning. We're calling it The Queen's Gambit. Uh, off of the Netflix series where we just talk about the, the show. We don't actually talk about the Bible. I'm just kidding. Um, we're actually, it's, it's based off of the, the game of chess, right, and, and, and the, the show, but it worked out perfectly because uh, Esther lays out a lot like a chess game with strategic moves and sacrifices and cunning and wisdom, and so um, it just worked out that we were going to talk about um, Esther this way, and so I'm excited to recap for you. There's four main characters we've been talking about so far. Esther, obviously, uh, is she's the the main. Esther, and and she is the, the, the cunning queen, She's smart, and, and she's uh, powerful, <laughs> extremely powerful. If you know chess, it's the, the thing that can move everywhere. It's the thing that I always actually end up like losing first because I'm bad at chess. Um, but uh, Esther is um, very, very cunning and very wise, and um, our, our lead character. The next was Ahasarius. Um, I call him Aha for short. Actually, I've been saying Ahasarius so much that it's actually kind of flowing, so I might actually say Ahasarius more than Aha. You don't need to know that. But I'm just really proud of myself for being able to pronounce that name. Uh, Ahasarius is dumb. Uh, That's my uh, summary of him. He is easily manipulated. He is run by his id. Anything that he wants or thinks sounds cool at the moment, he just does. And so he is very easily tricked. And he's only got like one move. Uh, That's also a chess uh, metaphor. Um, he's, He's only got one move, and that's just to trust whoever's talking to him in the moment. So that's King Ahasuerus, he's dumb. Uh, Mordecai, he is a shrewd knight. Um, Knights apparently can be used very, very shrewdly in the game. They're actually very important because they move oddly. Again, these are things I had to like Wikipedia. Um, But uh, Mordecai is very shrewd and and is very good at playing some of these games. And he's um, a, a knight, he's actually a righteous man. He's a good dude. And um, we're going to see that um, come through this morning. And then Haman. Haman is our villain. And uh, spoilers uh, from two weeks ago, he died. So uh, he's actually, his part of the story is basically up for, for my chapter. Um, it's also not like spoilers. It's like like 2,500 years ago. Um, but uh, he's, he's now dead. Um, and so to catch you up with all these characters and the story, so um, Ahasuerus, at one point was like, I, um, I'm going to force my queen to do whatever I want her to do. And the first queen, Vashti, was like, nah, ain't doing it. He's like, you're fired. I'm, this is paraphrasing, by the way. Um, and so he has a beauty contest. Esther wins. Esther is Jewish. And in, in, this, in the Persian kingdom, that was, a, that was like 
like a sign of, of um, that was like, like you had no rights. There was, there, was, there was nothing to, so they kept her Jewish heritage a secret, but she won the beauty contest, which means that she got to be queen of the largest empire on the planet. Um, so she gets to be queen, and then um, Mordecai is, is also rising in, in favor. He's, he's also Jewish, and he's, he's a, a, a very um, loyal kind of guard uh, to, the, to the king. And uh, Haman doesn't like him. Haman's the bad guy. And so Haman comes up with this plan a long time ago. So my talk this morning, by the way, is part two of two things. My, my talk is part two of my talk a long time ago. And I'll get to why it's part two of a talk a long time ago. But it's part two because a long time ago, Haman said, I don't like Mordecai. And I don't like his people. And so Haman came up with a plan to eradicate every Israelite on the planet. No joke. That was his plan in chapter three. That was my job to talk to you about. He he was going to eradicate every Israelite on the planet. Every Israelite under Persian rule. But at that time, every Israelite lived under Persian rule. And so that was Haman's plan in chapter three. And so the next couple chapters you see this unveiling of Esther and Mordecai playing the game better than Haman. And eventually, Haman gets punked by Esther because Esther is like, oh, king, you love me so much. Aren't I so pretty? Uh, Will you do whatever I ask of you? And he's like, sure. And she's like, well, um, there's a guy who is planning to kill everybody and Haman's sitting right there. And he's like, oh, then we should kill that guy. Who is that guy? And Esther's like, that's him, punked. And Haman's like, oh, and that was uh, last week. And then Haman, who he got like, he like punked himself too. He got like really excited. He built gallows to hang Mordecai on. And uh, there might've been a chance that he might've survived the night, honestly, but the gallows were ready made. The king was like, let's kill Haman. I want to do it tonight. They're like, I don't know, where, where's gallows? And, and someone's like, I think Haman built some, like right outside. We can take into a right there. And so that was the, the last chapter was Haman was taken to the gallows um, and was punked by his own selfishness and lust for power. So that's, so I have part two of Haman's request and I have part two of Esther's request. You see, Esther um, in this uh, incredible story figures out a way to get in front of the king. And at first she, last week we, we saw her eradicate her adversary. And now we get an even bigger ask today. Part two of of that ask. So today we will look at a a few things. One, the second part of those stories, an idea called chiasm. I think I'm saying it right. I had like the Bible like app say it for me and I couldn't quite get it. So if you ever look it up, just just trust me, okay, that I'm doing the best that I can. An idea called chiasm. And and it's a very, it's a fantastic literary device, but it's also a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's victory on this planet. We're going to see that this morning. And this major point is what we'll be looking at this morning, is that knowing God means knowing victory himself. Not it-self, himself. Knowing God means knowing victory himself. We're going to see what victory looks like, and it will be all be framed by a request by Esther and this question behind the question. This is our question this morning. Will I lose? Will I lose? We're going to see some interesting emotions from Esther after she had just defeated Haman, but some interesting emotions of anxiety and fear. 
And the question behind the question for her, and I think for us, is will I lose? And I even love that this, that this question is coming up now because part, part one, uh, for me, three, you know, a few weeks ago, Esther 3, the question was, will I be ready? And I think as I have been wrestling with this text, I think the question actually fully formed into, will I be ready enough to lose? Am I ready to lose? That's a scary question. Knowing God mean, means knowing victory himself. Let me start with a verse that we'll, that we'll preview this morning that I just want you to, to meditate on for like 30 seconds in silence. And then I'll pray. Jesus said this on, in John 16 before he was, before he was um, arrested and led to the cross. He said this to his disciples, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Just meditate on this for just 30 seconds. 30 seconds might feel like an eternity for you extroverts. 30 seconds of silence and then I'll pray. God, we love you and we're so grateful to be together to meditate on your victory, on your character, your redemption that you bring through your story, the way that you play the game, the way that you call us into victory with you. God, would you speak to us through this story this morning and thank you for your presence, your very presence in this room. You are here with us. In your name, amen. Let me go through the story of Esther 8 and pause a couple times and then we'll, we'll flesh out this idea of victory here. So this is chapter 8. Um, on, uh, it says, on that day, that day being the day that Haman was just um, hung outside and, and, and the day where she um, approaches the king. So that's the day that we're talking about. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he, had given, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. Okay, pausing for just a second. Do you, do you feel Esther's emotions? This is such a fascinating moment because for most of us, we would consider the, the victory won. It's done. Haman's gone. He is the enemy. But we have this problem that we have the enemy, but we have this evil plan that's still in, in existence. So the evil plan that was set into motion in chapter three was this certain day on the calendar that was set where they were going to destroy all of the Israelites on one day. Haman had, had been given him, this is just proof of how, like, just a reminder of how dumb King Ahasuerus was. King Ahas, Haman came to the king and said, I will pay you all this money and offer all these, like, all, all my men so that we can kill 
every Israelite in the, in, in the kingdom. And the king says, actually, I'll pay you. Why? We still don't know. But that evil plan was still in motion, even though Haman was dead, because Haman had sons and daughters and, and people that belonged to his house. So his plan was still afoot. So even though it felt like the, the enemy was gone, there was still a bigger ask coming. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, where you, you're like, okay, you know, may, maybe you got like three, three things coming up, right? So for, for me, I've got this conference that I'm planning in, in, uh, that, that's actually happening November 18th through the 21st. I know it's coming. Um, but before then, I've got like four or five sermons I need to give. And it's just a kick that the, the last thing is the biggest thing, right? I don't know if you've ever felt that, but like you make it through one thing, and you're like, okay, I got, I got through task number one. No time to celebrate. Task number two is upon me right now. And it always kind of feels like the next task feels bigger. And so even though Esther had won against Haman, there was a bigger ask. Why is this bigger? Why is, it, why is she pleading and crying? Why, why is this? Because she's now asking the king something that was wildly, insanely gracious and would have been seen as not even like the justice that she's asking for would be so beyond the ancient world. She's asking the king to care about slaves and servants and people who didn't have rights all over the kingdom. The king could have been like, I don't care. Haman's, you know, and even strategically, the king would have been like, well, let's keep the plan afoot so that Haman's sons don't come after me at some point. Haman, the king had Haman's sons to deal with. There was more things to come from this. This was a big, big ask. And you can kind of feel the question, you know, I I think that this is where the, the question came up for me of will I lose, of will I lose this time? Maybe my luck's run out. Maybe I, I, I've just been getting by on luck for, for all this time, but this next thing, isn't this, this is like anxiety's question, right? This next thing is the thing that's gonna do me in. I'm gonna lose that next thing. And so Esther, now that we've, we've, we, we can feel this with her, right? We can feel this tension, we can feel the emotion, we can feel the fear, is this going to work this time or will I lose? Let me keep going at verse four. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, that's, that's a good start. Uh, here you go. Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, if it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that's coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Esther had never pleaded before. She had never looked this desperate. But she asked in bravery. And I'm wondering if the space in between that question and the next answer felt like an eternity, you know? I don't know if you've ever been there where you're like, okay, I said it, okay, I said it, okay, I said it. How are they going to take it? How are they going to take it? What's going to happen? Do they they hate me? Do they hate me? I don't know if they hate me. They're not smiling, but they're kind of, they're not smiling. They're not, they don't look that angry. Just say something, you know? You're just like, please talk. Then the king Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you, 
may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. Okay, it worked. It worked. He handed over his rule to me, (laughs) essentially. That, That ring, that was like, that meant he was king. He keeps doing that, by the way. He keeps giving away the farm. It's like, you're the king. Like, you could have, anyways. But he, he says, do what you need to do. Oh, man. You can feel the, the tension relieve. We're going to save all the people. It worked. It worked. Mordecai ends up getting the ring and the king's name to go about. And then even he gets a, a royal parade where they put him on a, a horse or a donkey, I, I can't tell, um, given the, the original word, uh, some sort of four-legged animal. They put him on that, and they parade him around the, 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 the citadel, like the, the capital, Susa, and people will worship him, which I don't know how, how he would have felt like. He'd have been like, actually, worshiping a human is like how I got into trouble like the first time because I didn't worship a human. Um, but thank you. You know, I, I don't know how I felt. But if you remember... It's the exact same treatment that Haman got when he came up with a plan to kill all the Israelites. And now, a complete and total reversal. A complete and total reversal. This is where this word chiasm comes into play. And uh, I got real nerdy on this. I, I, I learned this um, like a few months ago. But chiasm, it's a literary device. Uh, that's, uh, that was regularly used, especially in the Old Testament, and it's usually built off of five, let's say, chapters. And what it does is that chapter one and five, and this works on all no- odd numbers, by the way, or even numbers, actually we'll find out this morning, um, the, the outsides match each other, comp- like are exact mirrors of each other. Then the next mirror each other, and then you, you always have something in the middle, like the climax of the story, the most important, so that, you know, it's just kind of like, you might remember this from elementary school, but basic story structure, right? You've got the, the, the build, the climax, the denouement. They've, they've got it all, this, this whole thing, and that's what chiasm is. And so I just love this because as I was going through this, chapter 1 and 10, chapter 1 is the greatness of Ahasuerus. Chapter 10 is the greatness of Mordecai. Chapter 2 is the injustice and the fear against the Jewish people. And chapter nine is the faith and the conquering of the Jewish people. Chapter three is the rise of of Haman. And chapter eight is the rise of Mordecai. Chapter four and seven are the wisdom and the cunning of Esther and the way she plays the game. And chapter five and six are the climax. That's the structure of Esther. And so I love, we didn't plan this, by the way. It wasn't my plan to have chapter three and eight. But here I am, I get to see, we get to see Haman's rise through evil, through selfishness, and we get to see Mordecai's rise through righteousness and humility. And through Esther being brave enough to claim victory despite her fear. There's chiasm in this book and there's chiasm in the entire Bible. The, the Bible, the story of the universe, starts with God dwelling with man in a tree of life. 
and perfect relationship with each other and God. For, that was, that's the beginning. It ends with God dwelling with man, a tree of life, and perfect relationships with, with God and man forever. The next chapters in are the introduction of evil. The next chapter in is the complete eradication of evil. And you get all of these matching mirror chiasms as we see God lay out this wonderful, beautiful story of him redeeming the effects of evil before, after the, the great middle moment, the great climax, and that is Jesus. Jesus, God as man, who entered as evil's vessel, as a human being, the very vessel that Satan and the enemy wanted to use to destroy everything, he entered as that, was perfect, reversed the curse, and changed everything after. And one day we will end in victory with him. The Bible has chiasm. And I love this. I love knowing that. But there's a part of you that wonders, Esther didn't know that. She didn't know how the story was going to turn out. We don't always see how our chapter threes turn out. Sometimes we do, right? Sometimes we're lucky enough to see the redemption of our pain. Today um, was the due date of one of the babies that Jan and I lost. Ooh, my chapter three is rough. <laughs> several times over the last year, several students, I've been lucky enough to hear this, several students have said, thank you for being my spiritual parent, for being there for me. I'm lucky enough to see that chiasm. There's some things that I haven't seen the redemption of quite yet. I get migraines. I got this really bad migraine yesterday that almost like, like knocked me out and I get these every once in a while that the first one that I ever got actually manifested itself as a stroke. I don't understand why I get those. There's, there's not been like a, like a major point where someone's been like, Jared, this is why you've had these migraines. <laughs> that point hasn't come yet and it may never. It may never happen. We may never get to see the chiasm of our own story. We, may, we never get to see the, 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 the seeds of faith sowed in our own story, the redemption of our own story. We may never get to see that like Esther and Mordecai saw the reversal in their story as well. As I think about this, I think about there's, there's, a, there's this amazing passage in Hebrews 11. It's been mentioned actually a couple times before by Kristen and, and Patrick as well. Let me read it to you. Um, this, is, this is about the heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11, 36 through 40. Um, these, are, these are the heroes, by the way, that don't have a name. We don't know who they are. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Oh man, what that be saying? That's an incredible thing to be said about someone. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They did not receive what was promised. Abraham 
and Sarah, when they died, you know, they were promised stars, nations, plural. They saw one kid when they died. These people didn't quite know what they were going through. But what that last verse is saying is it's building to the fact that all of this, all of our chiasms, our little chiasms fit in the greater story that is fulfilled in God's plan throughout time to reverse the curse, bring us back into perfect relationship with him, end evil forever, and dwell with him forever. Everything builds on that. Everything hinges on Jesus. My favorite verse, Colossians 1, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We are all a part of this story of Jesus redeeming this world. And it kind of changes how you view the question of, will I lose? As I reflect on this, as I reflect on the great chiasm, and I think about that verse I read earlier, John 16, 33. I have said these things to you so that in, you, you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. You may have a few losses. But take heart. And I love the tense that Jesus chooses here. This is fascinating. This is a fascinating tense. He hasn't died on the cross yet. This isn't resurrected Jesus. This isn't right about to ascend Jesus. This is Jesus right before he's about to get arrested. He says, past tense, I have overcome. It's done. It's over. I know this plan's gonna work. My dad came up with it. I know it's gonna work. And oh my gosh, is it gonna be painful for me. Take heart. I have overcome the world. It's done. It's over. The, the victory that we feel and know is in this person. And, and that's why I said himself. It's a person. First Peter says that we are born again to a living hope, not a concept of hope that's kind of alive. No, a person that was recorded by 500 people, including major government officials, that he did not stay in that tomb. We know he walked out of the tomb. We know he won. We know our hope is alive in a person. We have that knowledge of the victory. Will I lose? Maybe the next chapter. Yeah. But I'm not going to lose the war. My story's been written. My chapter 10 is with the king forever. No more weeping. No more pain. I know what my chapter 10 is. Knowing God means knowing victory himself. Esther didn't know the victory that she had. She didn't know the grand story that she was a part of. Thank God for her faith, that we get to be a lineage of faith from her. Will we have this kind of faith? Will we enter the next challenge with that question, will I lose and will we answer it? 
Maybe, but that's okay because I know victory himself. I might lose. And God is writing a story in, even in my life and maybe my loss leads to someone else's victory in the future. Another thing that motivated Esther was her compassion for her people. The more that you get to know this God, the more you get to know the God that spent everything to get you, the, the more that you're released from the question of will I lose to how do I keep others from losing? <laughs> it's not about me. <laughs> That's such a freeing thing to begin to ask as well. Will we find the same strength? Will we find the same compassion? Let me close us with a verse that we read earlier. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 58. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Let me pause. I love this hymn. I love that it taunts death. Death is a force that is everywhere, but because of Jesus, the author of this felt like it could taunt it. <laughs> what do you got, death? I'm gonna be with the king forever. The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is in vain. Why did, this, why did Paul have to say that? Because he had a lot of works that may have been seen in vain. He had a lot of really bad chapters. He got stoned a few times, shipwrecked. He probably wondered all the time, why am I doing this? <laughs> am I gonna lose? Maybe the next chapter. But I'm gonna be steadfast. I'm gonna be immovable. I know victory himself, and therefore I know my labor is not in vain. Whatever may come, Whatever this email or text says or this next meeting or, you know, the holidays coming up with family, no matter what, any of that brings, I will sit with the Father forever. I know my chapter 10. I will celebrate the king's victory with the king himself. And I'm preaching this as much to myself today. So you can imagine the pain. But I know God himself, and therefore I know victory. Would you struggle with me in this, to believe this, to believe this good truth, that we have a living hope? I'm gonna give us a couple seconds. I, can you toss up the, the, the 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Um, or actually John 16, 33. That'd be great. Thanks, Tony. I'm putting Tony through the ringer. Would you put that up again? Let's reflect on this for another 30 seconds. I'll pray and the band will come up and sing a couple more songs. Jesus, we know you. You're the God who came and died 
and lived again. For us, you didn't need anything else, but you wanted us. You wanted a relationship with us to build a family of faith that we would be with you forever. You said you would defeat death, and you did. We can see your victory. God, would you help us to believe in it, to enter every next challenge, knowing that you're, you're here, your presence is here, and even if we might be scared, even if we end up crying and pleading and weeping as Astra did, you're crying and pleading and weeping with us. You are there with us. You are victory. You are our victory. Do you help us to believe that, God? In your name.